This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 54. Today's Tuesday, September 18th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. On today's show, I have the newest sports enterprise writer for the Buffalo News. Jason Wolf will be my guest for a wide-ranging interview. Jason's basically brand new to the Western New York area, so I figured this is a great opportunity for sports fans to get to know him. We talk about his growing up in Pennsylvania, going to Penn State for college, and I track pretty much his entire career that led him from covering high school sports to joining the Buffalo News recently, and of course, Jason was a welcomed addition to a newspaper that for a variety of reasons had a lot of subtractions earlier this year. We talk about that, the competition in the Buffalo market that is suddenly much stiffer, how he feels about Buffalo so far, some chicken wing talk because of course that's what I always do, and plenty more. It's a fun interview. You're definitely going to want to hear it. Right after that, I'm joined by my weekly Pat with Pucks segment co-host, my guy Tone Pucks. We're breaking down the Buffalo Bills, dropping their home opener to the Chargers, including a horrific first half that was nearly as bad as last week in Baltimore. How did Josh Allen fare in his first start? What's up with Shady? Why did Tremaine Edmonds struggle so bad? Is Sean McDermott going to continue calling the defense? And of course, Vontae Davis the quitter. We hit on all that, plus we throw in some UB, Buffalo Sabres, Elton John talk, and more. It's good stuff. As usual, this is a packed episode, so I'm not going to waste any more time here at the top. Let's get right down to biz. Here's Jason Wolf for the Buffalo News, followed by Pat with Pucks. All right, my guest today is a recent addition to the Buffalo News Sports Department as a sports enterprise writer. He comes to Buffalo with a very interesting and diverse sports writing background, previously covering the Tennessee Titans in the NFL and the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA, among many other teams in sports. He is a 14-time recipient of the Associated Press Sports Editors National Top 10 Running Award. Damn, that's pretty cool, man. It's I'm not, 15 now for what it's worth. But I'm not, 15. Who's, who's keeping track? <laughs> <laughs> I've never met him before, and I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better today. Say hello to Jason Wolf of the Buffalo News. What's up, Jason? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on. 
Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. Been looking forward to getting on your show since you came to Buffalo. And you got a very interesting background, like I said. And I'm looking forward to getting to learn more about it. In fact, let's kind of go back to the beginning. Where are you from originally? And where did you grow up? Uh, I am originally from Philadelphia. Uh, grew up in the city. Went to uh, city schools until uh, middle school when my parents moved to the suburbs. Um, still basically, essentially Philadelphia. Um, went to college at Penn State. My career has kind of bounced me all over the place, um, but I keep finding my way back to, to the Philly area. And so uh, part of the appeal of coming to Buffalo was, of course, the proximity to home. It's kind of neat sure. seeing more people around wearing Penn State stuff and, and what have you. I went, uh, I actually managed to stop home this past weekend, um, you know, got to see some family then and. It's only about a six-hour ride from there, whereas Nashville, where I was right before here, is a 15, 16-hour car ride. Yeah. So it, it's nice being back up in the Northeast. Did you grow up a big sports fan, or were sports something that grew on you as you got older? You know, when I was a little kid, I really wasn't much of a sports fan, to be honest with you. I was far more into, like, um, I'm dating myself here, but uh, Atari <laughs> and, like, Nintendo. Yeah. Um you know, as I got to be around like nine, 10, 11 years old, then I started getting into sports more. I think the 93 Phillies really made a big impression on me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't mean to jump all over the place, but a couple of weeks ago, one of the first weekends that I had since I joined the news, I hopped in the car and drove up to Toronto and Got to watch the Phillies blow a five to nothing lead to the Blue Jays. <laughs> and it really brought back memories of being a little kid. And, you know, I was telling my wife at the time, it's like, you know, there's 93 Phillies. That was the first time I really, I was 13 years old. It was the first time I really experienced sad fireworks. You know, Joe Carter hit the game winning home run and all these fireworks are going off and I'm just miserable. And then, of course, there was a strike in 94, and from that point forward, I was just a huge Eagles fan. So Eagles have always been my number one team, Phillies uh, my number two, and then I'm a hometown guy across the board. So, you know, Flyers, Sixers, it, I, I get that, rooting for your hometown team. Sure. And, uh, you know, uh, Buffalo fans, I feel like I can connect on that type of a level. Know, they're passionate whether their teams yeah. win or lose. There's that long time, long standing relationship with the team. And like, I think that's really cool too. And I think it's really cool to have someone at the Buffalo News now who's not from Buffalo, who grew up, you know, watching the Sabres and the Bills and the Bisons and all that. I kind of like, you know, being able to have other cities represented in different perspectives on where you grew up and stuff like that. Now, you mentioned Penn State. Okay. So you go to Penn State University for yeah. college. Joining a former guest of mine on this show and someone I really like and admire, Jenny Vrentis from Sports Illustrated. She's a Penn yes. State alum. Anyway, I always ask my guests the same question, and I'm going to ask you this too. Why did you choose to go to Penn State, and were there other schools that you considered going to? In-state tuition. Makes sense. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> I, I, my, my dad went to Penn State. My little brother went to Penn State. My wife went to Penn State. Her sister went to Penn State. 
you know, it, it wasn't a plan necessarily. I had actually wanted to go to George Washington in D.C. and got in, but the tuition was just crazy expensive and uh, we weren't getting any financial assistance. And so Penn State it was. And, you know, I don't regret it. My, my best friends uh, I met while I was in college. Obviously, my wife I met while I was in college. I will tell you, though, there were some stretches in the winter when you know Florida State was contending for national championships and right. Penn State was pretty terrible and I'm like man I could be in Florida right now <laughs> conceivably <laughs> like I am right now actually <laughs> I, I hear you man I do were you originally interested more in broadcast journalism or in print journalism yeah you know I didn't get into print until after I graduated um, from college I hosted a radio show while I was at Penn State and uh, did some work on the radio news while I was there as well, did some DJing. So I was very much broadcast while I was in school. Didn't get into print until after the fact. I was pretty late on that. Hmm. That's cool. And I, again, that's another thing I like. Some people on this show, they knew that they wanted to be a sports writer as soon as they could literally write their name. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. And when you're at Penn State, I mean, look, it's such a huge school. You are literally just a number. You're your social security number. That's right. how you identify yourself. They have those little Scantron bubble forms and you, you know, sit in a class of thousands of people, especially when you're a freshman and it's like the gen ed courses and you're filling out tests, these little Scantron forms and I just knew that I didn't like doing that. I would rather write a paper, research and write a paper than, you know, memorize whatever and, and fill out these little Scantron bubble forms. And that's sort of how I gravitated toward these writing courses. Well, it's time for me to find out how well I did my homework on you. Because we're going to kind of go through your career a little bit. After college, you worked at a few papers in the Pennsylvania area in a variety of different roles. Did it feel like at that time you're kind of paying your dues, so to speak? I mean, you did cover Penn State football for three seasons, if I read that correctly, though, right? Oh, my goodness. I was at the homecoming game where Penn State, and notice I don't say we, because that's something that you get beaten out of you over time, mm -hmm. uh, being in the business. It's not we. When, when Penn State lost, was it six to four to Iowa on homecoming, and Iowa was backed up at the goal line as time was, you know, ticking down in the fourth quarter. And instead of potentially, um, you know, turning the ball over right there, giving up a touchdown, they intentionally snapped the ball out the back of the end zone for a safety and, you know, had the, the free kick um, calculating correctly that Penn State couldn't even, I think Zach Mills was the quarterback, couldn't even move into field goal range for the victory. They, they were right. Wow. <laughs> so I lost six to four. Um, so I definitely covered the lean years while I was there. That was paying dues. Uh, and that was the highlight of some of my early years in the business, getting to cover Penn State. Uh, my first year in the business was a part-time sports agate clerk, which is a position that hardly even exists anymore. Yeah. Huh. In the spring of 2007, you get a job in Danville, Virginia, close to very close to my mom, by the way covering mainly ACC football and basketball, but some other things as well. And you were there for nearly three and a half years. How much would that go on to help you in your career? And did you enjoy your time working in Virginia? 
I was there for nearly six years, in fact, because the job that I got after that was at the Greensboro News and Record in North Carolina, and yep. that was less than an hour drive. Okay. And so I continued to live in Danville. I mean, it might sound weird saying this, but the most fun I've ever had in this business. It was great. Um, the sports staff was only four full-timers. We were all about the same age. To this day, we're all very close friends. Oh, that's cool. We did. We, we covered everything. I mean, we covered, there were the high schools, uh, there were NASCAR races, uh, which, I mean, a kid from Philadelphia covering NASCAR, you want to talk about a fish out of water. <laughs> uh, there there was uh, ACC football and basketball. I got to cover UNC hoops. I uh, covered Virginia Tech football the season after the massacre that they had on campus, oh, which was uh, a, a real interesting experience. Uh, minor league baseball. There's a Braves affiliate in that town. There's a D three college. I'm sure you may have heard of Hargrave yeah. military Academy. Yep. That's there. Um, I mean, the experience that I was able to get, uh, working at that small paper was just phenomenal. And I, and I worked with other guys that were my age that were real talented and, you know, we busted our asses and we really punched above our weight class it was only a 20 some thousand circulation newspaper um but it was a great set we used to call it the best damn four-man sports section that was ever assembled <laughs> and i mean this you you just don't replicate those type of experiences uh they help you become the person that you are and you always look back fondly on those times and you know i moved to danville my wife and i moved to danville i knew nobody there we, we weren't even married at that point. We got married in Danville. That's how much, you know, Danville came to mean to us. Oh, wow. And so where is your mom from? My mom's from Buffalo and she, I want to say she lives in Herndon, Virginia now. It's like one of those towns around there. And I know it's not far. I could be wrong on the town. I know she lives near Danville though. She gotcha. moved there about 10 years ago. She loves Virginia. That's a wild place, by the way, Danville, Virginia. The last this is the last capital of the Confederacy, and they are extremely proud of that for yeah. whatever that's worth. <laughs> so now your climb up the ladder gets much bigger in October of 2012. You land a job at Gannett Newspapers, USA Today Sports, covering the beat for the Philadelphia 76ers. You do other stuff there as well, but that's your first real brush with covering a professional team. What was the difference for you between covering the 76ers, you know, as a professional team and a lot of the college and high school stuff you had previously done. You know, that was not a super easy decision. At the time, I was the lead high school reporter in Greensboro and got to do a bunch of ACC stuff as well. But I was producing really good work. Um, and I don't mean that to to gloat or to say oh it won awards or anything along those lines but i really enjoyed the work that i was doing uh, I, I was proud of what i was producing it wasn't um game stories they were just really good stories that nobody else were telling mm -hmm. and just finding those great stories and telling them well i learned meant a lot more to me than you know covering a pro team so to speak. You know, when I first got out of school, 
you're young, you're naive. I always thought the dream job was I'm going to cover the Philadelphia Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer, right? Like I'm going to sure. cover my favorite team right. for my hometown paper. That would be an awful job. Like that would be the last thing that I want to do today. Um, so covering those high school sports, because, you know, you, you can't root for the team and, you know, you get to know the people behind the scenes and you know, sometimes they're not necessarily who you think they are and there's a difference between being a fan and being a professional sports reporter and sure. if you're covering the team that you grew up rooting for you don't root for that team anymore it kind of sort of ruins it for you a little bit right things change so i was telling great stories in, in danville virginia and my wife was going to nursing school and had about another six or seven months until she graduated um and so it wasn't a no-brainer, uh, or yeah, it was a difficult decision because I, my wife and I had to do the long-distance thing for six or seven months to make it work. I ended up crashing at my parents' house, you know, for six months, which is kind of weird when you're in your late twenties and moving home. And, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I mean, it, it was a, a pretty ideal situation in as far as jumping from like the high schools to the pros because for Gannett I worked for suburban newspapers so we're talking about like the Delaware News Journal and the South Jersey Courier Post and uh, Camden Cherry Hill Asbury Park Press right papers with uh, a substantial circulation but yeah. we're not talking about the Inquirer we're not talking about the Daily News and so I didn't have to be the beat guy for the Sixers I had a lot more leeway to go off the beaten path and to find those interesting stories, uh, to mine those stories that you know, other people didn't have the time, didn't have the resources to try to dig up and tell well. Um, so I, I really did enjoy that. And there was a variety in that uh, position as well, because I did not travel extensively. And so instead of going on like a West Coast road trip, they would hold me back and they would have me cover the Eagles. And which I did while LaShawn McCoy was there, in fact. And, uh, you know, Derek Boyko, the current Bills PR director, he was the PR director at the, uh, of the Eagles, the Eagles at the time I was yeah. there. Right. They, they had me covering uh, the Phillies. When we lost our Phillies guy, I was the number two one. I went on, like, you know, a nine-game road trip or a seven-game road trip, or whatever it may be. I was gone for two weeks. And so I had that varied experience that I really enjoyed, which it was – not to jump around too much, but it was something that I found really attractive in this position here in Buffalo. Sure. Now you're there for a little over two years. And then after that, you're essentially freelancing for a ton of places. Where did you feel you were at in your career at that point in your life? But pretty low, man, to be honest with you, because so I was laid off. Um, the, the, the company Gannett decided that uh, Sixers were not generating enough web traffic, and so they eliminated the position. They decided that we just have we just go with wire copy. We'll have the people at USA Today handle it, of which there were only two covering the entire NBA for USA Today. Mm -hmm. um, and so they got rid of the position. You know, they, they made us re-interview to keep our jobs. Um, I knew that the Sixers beat was being eliminated, and so they had me interviewing for essentially what were my friends and co-workers, my colleagues' jobs. And, you know, that's not a position you want to be in. Right. Um, my buddy covers the Eagles, and, you know, I told him, look, I'm applying for the Eagles' job. I just 
not to undercut you, but they said, here are the jobs. I mean, what are you, what are you going to yeah, do? Gotta do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Man. Right. Yeah. But you, you want to be, you know, an upstanding guy about sure. it too, and let them know what's what. And so they, they eliminated the position. They didn't retain me, which, you know, it, it's just sort of the way the business goes anymore. I feel like it, it's such a tough business. Um, and I, I know so many talented people who have been laid off through no fault of their own. Um, and I ended up freelancing, you know, I freelanced for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was kind of cool to see my name in the Inquirer. That was, you know, sort of realizing a a childhood dream, so to speak, um, you know, covering college basketball games, college football games and whatnot. Uh, I freelanced largely for USA Today, uh, Josh Barnett, the current, sports editor at the Buffalo News was an editor at USA Today at the time yep. and fed me a good deal at work and really helped me pay my rent for like six months, to be honest with you, with the amount of work he sent my way. Um, I had that opportunity to write uh, this really cool feature for Sports Illustrated, which one of my mentors, Scott Price, whose byline is SL Price, really helped me get in the door there and, and get that published, which was awesome. So I feel like I made the most out of it professionally, but personally, it was kind of a tough period in my life. You know, I'm filling out unemployment paperwork. Um, I really wanted to make it uh, so that way I could take care of the rent every month. I, I didn't want my wife to have to worry about that. And, you know, we don't have any kids or anything, and it's not like we had a mortgage. So there are people, I have friends who have lost their jobs and have much more serious you know, issues to contend with, but still it's not a cool situation. And then, um, (laughs) I I ended up getting the Titans job eventually, which that paper, the the Tennessean is also owned by Gannett. So I tell people that, you know, I I was laid off for Gannett freelance for Gannett. How did that opportunity to move to another city to work for Gannett? How did that come about getting the job in Tennessee and moving to Tennessee? I mean, it gotta be culture difference from, you know, your Philly kid, know pennsylvania or virginia pretty much all your life next thing you know now you're what 15 hours away in tennessee how did that job come about for you right well you know um i know people all over the country i've been pretty active in uh apse the associated press sports editors Mm -hmm. for more than a decade really because super early in my career before even danville i was a small newspaper sports daily newspaper sports editor in pennsylvania and first got involved in the organization then and uh, kept showing up to national events because I found them very valuable, not only uh, from the uh, standpoint of networking, but uh, you learn a lot when you go to those things. And, sure. and they never told me that I couldn't go, even though I wasn't an editor anymore. So I kept going. Um, so I knew uh, some people who were at the Tennessean. And in, in fact, the editor there reached out to me and had me do a a feature story for them while I was freelancing. One of the 76ers uh, had attended Tennessee State University, uh, Robert Covington. And so uh, there was a surreal sort of game where I went back and covered the Sixers and, you know, uh, the little placard at your seat said Jason Wolf, the Tennessean on it and had like 76ers stuff, which was sort of like, worlds colliding yeah, and then a few months yeah. later they, they ended up hiring me they they had a sudden opening uh for a, a position of titans beat reporter lead titans beat reporter 
uh, their longtime guy who is phenomenal, uh, Jimmy Wyatt, was hired to write for the team's website, and they needed somebody who could start quick. The preseason was already underway, and here I was out of work. And so I got in a car and drove down there and ended up spending three years on the Titans beat. Hmm. All right, so everyone knows how the opportunity to go to the Buffalo News came about after an exodus of veteran writer departures there. Let me ask you this, though. Was it an easy or a hard decision for you? And how much did you know about Buffalo at the time before you took the job? So not a whole lot. Josh called me. Uh, He came to me and said, look, we've had uh, a number of people accept voluntary buyouts. And look, I, I... Look, I, I know a lot of people in the industry uh, around the country. It is a very small business, as I'm sure you're well aware. Sure. And uh, so I was somewhat familiar with what was going on at the news with, with a bunch of long timers leaving. Um, and, and so Josh called me and said, look, we've had these voluntary buyouts. Uh, I'm not losing positions, which is sort of unusual in this business. Usually you get rid of people and their layoffs and you're getting rid of this position. But no, I guess more people took the buyouts than they had anticipated. And so he had the opportunity to hire for four or five uh, full-time positions. And he's like, you know, I'm interested in bringing you in for uh, an interview. And the very first thing I said to him, having never actually been here, was like... Oh, I don't know, dude, like Buffalo's maybe going to be a hard sell. You know, like I don't really like being cold. My wife hates it more than I do. One of the real joys. Of I'm being in Florida because of that. So I hear you. man. Oh, right. So one of the real and we're both from Pennsylvania. We went to Penn State. We're no we're, we're not foreigners to the winter. I'm not saying that I, I know exactly what it is we're in for here. Um but one of the real joys of being on the Titans beat was like 70 degree days beside the practice field in November, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that every day. And the summers are brutal, but uh, very, very mild winters. And so I said, you know, I don't know, Buffalo might be a little bit of a, a, a tough sell. Um, but, and he responded, he's like, you know, there are a lot of things I, that I can control. Where the job is located is not one of them. Right. It's like, all right, man, fair enough. And I had had this working relationship with him while he was at USA Today. Um, I, I knew him to be a really uh, quality editor. I had known him dating back to when he was a sports editor at the Philadelphia Daily News through APSE. And so I'm like, you know what? I, I at least owe myself and him the opportunity to hear him out and, and let's see where this goes. And uh, my wife and I came up here uh, to interview, stepped off the plane, and it was like we were in heaven right away. I mean, you're talking about uh, June, you know, in, yeah. in western New York. And, and we're coming from just uh, an area of the country where, oh, it's like 7 a.m. And I'm walking the dog and I'm just dripping with yep. sweat. Yep. It's just yep. brutal I, out I know all you know, about You hide it. indoors yep. all day. Yep, yep. And so we stepped off the plane and it was like 70 degrees and no humidity. And it was just like amazing. Uh, somebody actually told me that. It's like, well, what's something I don't know about Buffalo? And I was like, well, everybody complains about the winters, but our summers are magical. Yes, they're right. And it's absolutely true. I mean, it, it's been amazing here for the last like couple of months. And, uh, you know, I, I met a bunch of people at the paper and, I mean, uh, 
the money was right and you know the union is something that i really appreciate there's a degree of job security there you know it's something that i've never had before i've worked for a handful of papers never had union protection of any sort and so that was very appealing um uh, looking forward to uh, working for josh i love the idea of the variety of things I would get to cover instead of just focusing on, on one team around the clock. And, you know, if you're going to, we didn't actually like write out a list of pros and cons, but discussing them, it was just overwhelmingly in favor of moving to Buffalo. It's like, well, why wouldn't we closer to home? You know what I mean? Sure. And so, here we are. I mean, when I was in Tennessee, when I first took the job on the Titans beat, there were two full-time Titans writers. After the first season, they laid off the second guy who had been there for 18 years. And so I was the only full-time writer on the Titans beat for the newspaper, for the major Metro newspaper for the last two seasons. And it's just, it's not really a one man beat. Certainly not if you want to do it well. Right. And here at the Buffalo news, we have three veteran full-time Bills beat writers. Right. We have two Sabres beat writers. And they wanted to bring me in on top of that to just find and tell great stories. And, and so, I mean, it really ended up being a no-brainer. Sure. Now, you're in the media. And you're an experienced media person. And I'm sure at this point now, you're extremely privy you know, to everything that went down at the Buffalo News and the Sports Department during the spring earlier this year. It was a turbulent time. Many fans were surprised, if not stunned, to see how many veterans departed the news for a variety of reasons. I don't really care. We don't need to rehash it. That was months ago. But, you know, I certainly won't call it a war zone, but obviously the athletic has emerged as very strong competition for the eyes and the dollars of sports fans. How do you feel about kind of jumping, running into that fire, so to speak? Or do you not see it that way at all? Not necessarily just the Buffalo News against the athletic, but just a lot of of competition right now in Western New York for your attention. I don't know. I think there is maybe on one hand is maybe less competition than there was at one point. I mean, there was a point in time where many towns had two or even three newspapers. I mean, I've got a copy of the Philadelphia bulletin, which went out of business when, you know, I was a little kid uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News used to be fierce competitors, and now they essentially share copy. Um, so I think competition's certainly not a bad thing. No, I, not at all. absolutely a positive. It's for great players. for fans. I mean, you're talking about uh, additional reporters, additional voices, yep. more content about your favorite team. So I don't see it as a, a negative at all. Um, I certainly don't see it as a war zone. You know, maybe that's me as an outsider. Maybe if, like, I don't have these long-term established relationships uh, within the Buffalo media where I, I get it. There are rivalries and certain people feel certain ways about different people. And that mm -hmm. exists in, I think most that, ex towns. that exists in, yeah, in most towns, in, in most markets. I don't know. I, I don't really see it as being a problem. I, I think... The Buffalo News, honestly, is doing way 
way better than the vast majority of similar sized newspapers across the country. Yeah. Again, I just told you about how a few years ago um, I was forced to re-interview. F- everyone at my paper was forced to re-interview for their jobs, knowing that you know it was a game of musical chairs and yep. several of us were going to be left standing. You know, We're going to be left out of work. Where we were literally pitted against our colleagues for, you know, our careers. I just told you how I was at the Tennessee, and there were two of us on the Titans beat, and, and one of us, a guy who had been there 18 years, was just let go. Yeah, and that was the second time he was let go. Yeah, they've got three full timers on the Bills beat here. You you got to be kidding me, you know? Right. The layoffs, they weren't layoffs. They were voluntary buyouts. And I understand because, look, these are questions that I had. And I don't want to come off as, oh, this is just Jason at the Buffalo News. Of course, he's defending the Buffalo News. I've been here for like a month. I completely understand, man. Yeah, sure. And I had these same very pointed questions. I I wasn't necessarily going into my interview trying to impress. I wanted to interview them as much as they were interviewing me. I'm like, look. Everybody here in this newsroom, by and large, has been here for 20, 25, 30 plus years, which is amazing. And a lot of that you can attribute to the fact that there is a union. Okay? Because if there wasn't, like, you're out the door and that's that. Right. This is how companies work. Um, So, from what I was able to gather, and you may know more than I do, um, from what I was able to gather, uh, they wanted to change the way certain positions were structured. They wanted different things from uh, different people. And some people chose to take a paycheck and leave as opposed to, you know, doing a different job. And that's their prerogative, you know, more power to, I mean, no judgment. I mean, it's a decision, but every place I've ever worked, they they point you to the door and that's that. You know what I mean? So this was an opportunity to better my career. It's uh, a tremendous uh, increase in resources, without a doubt, from what I had previously been used to. And so, you know, I don't see it being a big problem at all. Um, I know you brought up Tim Graham. And um, Tim, I've known Tim for several years, not well. We met at an APSC banquet years ago. When and I'm a big fan of his work, and I've told him as much. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, he's great. I mean, he's great. Um, when Josh first reached out to me about joining, potentially joining the staff here, Tim hadn't left yet, and I was really excited about the prospect of potentially being his colleague. And I've spoken to Tim since, and I've told him as much. Um, you know, I was pretty disappointed when he decided to leave because I was honestly looking forward to working with sure. somebody of his caliber. At, at the same time, you know, like he's working for the athletic now, which is cool. It's a decision that that he made. Um, I know the news wanted to keep him. I, I don't. I mean, I guess we're competitors in a sense, but I really don't see it that way. I I, I don't know. And maybe I'm naive, but I, I don't know that there are people out there who are saying, well, I only have five dollars and well, do I spend it on the athletic or do I spend it on the Buffalo News or do I right. go to the movies as if a movie would cost five dollars? 
Um, <laughs> I hear <laughs> right? you, man. But I, I, I mean, like, I, I think the more the merrier. Like, he's still doing great work, and that's where you can go find his great work. At I, the same time, I, agree. I, I, I would like to think that the Buffalo News is producing great work, too. I'm certainly going to do the best that I can and, and not feel intimidated because there are other people in the market who are doing quality work. I agree 100%. And I've told guys from the Buffalo News, and I've told guys from the Athletic this, there's enough good work to go around. There's enough sports fans to go around. It doesn't have to be one or the other. If I like the athletic, it doesn't mean I can't like the Buffalo News. Or if I'm a Buffalo News guy, that doesn't mean that I can't like the athletic. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of like one of my biggest beasts nowadays. It doesn't have to be one or the other, man. You can like them both. Let me no, ask you I, I mean, I don't, I don't. Go ahead. I I'm mean, as, as a consumer of um, sports news myself, I don't see it that way i certainly know what outlet i'm reading and, and i have my you know favorite writers and, and i'll seek out their work but i mean i don't really care who breaks what as a consumer of news right um you know when it comes to breaking news somebody has it and then everybody has it um i'm really interested in in like good stories and so i mean the, the position that i was hired for really I mean, is ideal really meshes with what I value. Do you feel like a reinforcement of sorts? Because prior to you, it was loss after loss after loss for the Buffalo News for whatever reason, a variety of reasons, doesn't matter. You're the one name guy. I mean, they've made other hires and they may turn out to be amazing hires, but you're the one guy who came with a name already and a nice impressive body of work that enters on the side of the Buffalo News. Does that make you feel like a reinforcement of sorts? You know, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess you could say that, but I don't feel that way. Um, it's just, it's long been a really great outlet. It's really been a, a, a tremendous newspaper for a long time. I mean, uh, Tim's done great work. Tyler Dunn's done great work. I've yep. known Lisa Wilson, the former sports editor, for an extremely long time, probably as no as long as I've known Josh. Um, I mean, Vic Carucci is, is a veteran. He, he's a pro. Jay Skursky is, you know, an APSE award-winning Bills beat writer. Mark Gaughan is tremendous. Um, you know, Mike Harrington is, has done it forever and, and is an authority. Um, I mean, I, I don't feel like the cupboard was bare and then suddenly I showed up, well, if that's right. what you mean by like reinforcement. Um, I think it was really cool that they lost people and then got to hire again, because sure. that's not that's unusual to me. You, you lose people and then you'll lose the position as well. Fair enough. Let me ask it to you this way. Do you feel sometimes it's advantageous to have a fresh set of eyes and a voice in a sports town like this? Somebody who's not from around here, who wasn't around to see anything that's happened in Buffalo over the past year, whether it's sports media stuff or the sports teams themselves? Well, sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you don't get that. You, you get a different perspective than you get out of someone who has been here for uh, a, a very long period of time. You know, that, that said, um, that institutional knowledge is extremely important as well. That's something that isn't, I mean, easily replaced. And so there's value in that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, of course. I mean, it, I don't think there's anything wrong. I, I think there's 
a real benefit to maybe getting someone to come in from the outside and learn the lay of the land and then tell you, you know, maybe what they think or uh, to pursue story ideas that maybe uh, somebody who has been, you know, too close uh, to a situation has, has maybe missed. Um, I'm just talking in generality sure. here, uh, of course, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a positive. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that it would be a positive to like, clean the deck you know what i mean to like just get rid of everyone and bring right. in a whole like crew of outsiders but i i think uh, a healthy mix is you know probably a, a good thing have you gotten a chance to get to know any of the sports media guys yet outside of the buffalo news you know very little um you know i've i've spoken to tim here and there uh, i told you that i've known him for a few years now mm-hmm. i mean i'm introducing myself to, to people here there it's very early yeah it's a process for sure you know it, it's literally only been like a few weeks that right. i've been in town um i mean harrington was on vacation for like my first two to three weeks so i just saw him in the newsroom the other day for the first time since my interview so you know it's, it's just mike's a fiery guy man I, I mean, I look. I don't know I like, him well, but I like him. I like everybody so yeah. far. There's nobody who I can say, "Well, that guy's a jerk off." You know right. what I mean? Right, right. No, I mean, let, let's circle back in six months or so. I might tell you who. The <laughs> <laughs> What's been your early impression of a lot of the guys you're working with? Because you know, if you don't know them well, you're gonna start to get to know them well. Guys like you mentioned, you know, like Thick and Jay and Mark and Mike. They're vets. Man, they're, they're, they're veterans. Um, one thing that I found um, really appealing or, or really interesting was you look at the athletic launched here. And from my understanding, they launched earlier than they had initially planned on launching uh, because of the buyouts, because they had the opportunity to you know, snap up a couple of people, right. Vogel. Um, who I, I, I think I met very briefly, um, maybe a, a couple of weeks ago up in Toronto at the rookie event. Um, uh, Tim left, uh, after they had launched, but, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't know, man, it, it's just, it, it's really early for me. I can't really speak to, to who's what I, I think it's nice that there are veterans here. You're not, I'm not holding anybody's hand. Uh, you're not talking about a staff full of kids who are straight out of school. Um, and so it's nice to be able to sort of just slot in and know that everybody's handling their business. And, you know, I have the ability to do my job sort of as it was intended and, and help them out where I can. You know, the, right. there isn't really a, a much of a learning curve there. I, I think it was cool that, you know, when the athletic launched here, that none of our bills writers left. I mean, you look at most markets and they try to take, you know, the veterans from the local paper. And it makes sense from a competitive standpoint, right? Because, yeah. like, you knock down your competition and you get, like, the vet and you get all his followers. I mean, and, and many of my friends have jumped from, you know, their newspapers to the athletic. And it, I, look, the business model makes sense. But, you know, none of those guys left the Buffalo News. I, I think that's telling. Work aside, for the short amount of time you've been in Buffalo, how much have you had a chance to get settled in a little bit, you know, see the city, just get used to the vibe of being in Buffalo, you and your wife? You know, um, we, we went down to uh, check out 
Lake Erie a little bit, walked around some downtown. Um, and we really haven't gotten uh, around the town all that much. I'm spending my time mostly at Orchard Park and you know, on the road for weekends. Um, I really haven't absorbed the town all that much at this point. It's kind of been like work and then, you know, splitting for personal things yeah. uh, on, on the weekends. But I will tell you this, like, I'm like, was really excited about beef on whack. <laughs> like in general anybody who really knows me like it's sort of a caricature at this yeah. point like the whole like sandwich thing is like su super overdone like if you follow me on facebook or whatever um but i was really it, i mean nothing will top a, a cheesesteak right in my book. right but i was really oh. excited about beef on whack generally speaking i've had four of them now and uh, i'm not going to tell you where i got them but like three of them have been just like sort of disappointing yeah are, yeah. you a, are you a chicken wing guy yet or no? Or is that something? Oh, I've always it? been a, I've always been a wing guy and I didn't want to. So like, this is, this is true. I have gone around with my reporter's notebook and like grilled people on best places to like eat. You should have talked to <laughs> me, man. Right. Well, <laughs> well, we're talking now. So, I mean, it, it's being recorded. We, this could be instructional. Okay. Um, I, and I know that the whole, I, I don't want to fall into the whole, like, anchor bar duff thing because i get they're touristy right sort of is that right that's right very, they're, they're sort of is, like the pats and genos it's, it's very accurate but let me add this okay duff's is very good by the way i've been to anchor bar twice i've been to duff's once and just for the record I, duff's is far superior in my book at the moment well let me i, I don't disagree with you but let me add this okay because this is a pet peeve of mine People who come in, or not people who come in, people who are from Buffalo, are there better chicken wings places than those? Absolutely. However, those are the OGs of chicken wings. You, and people, sure, and there's and respect you gotta there, get that right? Respect. I get it. And people are like, oh, Anchor Bar sucks. No, it doesn't suck. You know what? Anchor Bar no, paid the way suck. for a lot of these wings that you're eating today. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Anyway. I, I get off the rails. I get a. Not I've you. heard Bar Bill is very good. I haven't Bar been Bill there yet, is but. excellent. It is excellent. But yeah, those Anchor Bar and Duff's and Duff's, I, I agree with you. I like better than Anchor Bar as well. They're not the best, but they are good, reputable places. That you know what? But I've heard people, I've heard people take the other side. I mean, like Anchor Bar is. I had an NFL general manager text message me when he found out I was coming to Buffalo and said Anchor Bar is the greatest. And then I wrote back, it's like, well, you know, I've heard all this good stuff about Duff. He's like, your sources are wrong. Like you're misinformed. <laughs> Uh, well, I promise. So you know, Anchor Bar. I promise you this, buddy. If you're in Buffalo long enough, neither of those places are going to be in your top fifteen. See, and that's what I sort of figured. I, right. I figured they, you know, and when you're in Philadelphia, it's Monday Night Football or whatever else. They always have to show them making cheesesteaks at Pat's and Gino's, the two famous places that are across the street from each other. Yeah. But like, to be honest with you, serve dog food. <laughs> like they're. So many better. The last time I went to, and I don't, they're like interchangeable in my mind. The last time, and, and this is like blasphemous, to be honest with you. The last time I went to either of those, it was like I was eating one of them at like four in the morning. This was probably five, six years ago. And I felt really bad about myself. Not because it was like, not necessarily because I'm like wolfing down a cheesesteak at 4 a.m., but it's just not a good one. Right. <laughs> you know, the only redeeming quality is that they're open 24 sure. hours. Sure. Yeah. And that matters too. Right. So I was assuming that, that Anchor Bar and, and Duff's were, you know, 
that there was a similar story there here yeah, as well. Good. They're the original. Yeah, they're, they're, especially they're, Anchor they're Bar. Great. And they're good. But I really there, did, there I, is I, better. I did like Duff. It just grinds my gears when when, when <laughs> Buffalonians destroy them because there's better places. It's like because you got to give better. them respect. You know, it's I, like I, saying, you know, Le'Veon Bell might be better than Jim Brown ever was, but don't diss Jim Brown. Right. You know right. what I mean? That, yeah, that's that just wrong. Right, exactly. So listen, typically at this point in the interview, I'd start talking about the Bills, but you know what? I don't want to talk about the Bills. I already got the Bills covered on this show, so I'd rather talk to you about a few of the things that you've written since joining the news. I read that piece you wrote on UB's Khalil Hodge, and it was absolutely excellent. Tell listeners out there who may not know what I'm talking about exactly what your really good feature story about him entailed there. Thank you. Um, Well, so uh, Khalil Hodge, linebacker for University at Buffalo, uh, is the nation's leading returning tackler this season for uh, Division One football. Uh, he was number two in the country last year. There's a kid, I think it's San Diego State, who yep. is now on the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so Khalil is uh, the nation's leading returning tackler. And uh, I, I don't know how big UB is, uh, how, how much your listeners you know, follow them, but... Obviously, last year they became bowl eligible. It was like the third time yeah. since uh, they made the jump to the bowl subdivision. Yep. And they were one of three teams in the country who were snubbed. Right. And we can get into it's a whole different conversation how many bowls there are now, and you know if that's really necessary. But fact of the matter is, they're one of the three teams that were bowl eligible that did not get an invitation to any bowl, and so they were. Uh, obviously very upset about this. Well, on the same day that this news came down, um, Khalil learned that his little brother had been shot and killed in their hometown in California. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, UB had him on a plane back, uh, to the Bay area. He's from like outside of Oakland, uh, the very next morning. And he was out there for a couple of months and, you know, it, it was, I started off talking about, um, you know, what was going on with the disappointment of not being invited to a bowl and then getting this stunning news when he was with his friends playing video games and uh, everything that went into getting him home so quickly and and, like the emotional gut punch of what I can only, I I can't even begin to imagine what it is that he was dealing with um, during this, I mean, you're talking about like a 12 to 24 hour period. And then um, how he and his family coped with this and then coming back across the country uh, for his senior season uh, with what is for UB a pretty loaded roster that has something to prove and, and a little extra to play for. Yeah, and um, chip on the know, shoulder. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, and I, I spoke to both his uh, mom and his dad. Um, those were pretty difficult conversations as you can imagine i I spoke to uh, the head coach i spoke to his position coach i spoke to uh, a handful of his uh, teammates including a couple of guys who had roomed with him and uh, that was really the first like uh, use air quotes and say good story that uh, i wrote since i've been here Mm -hmm. um I had a handful of daily things because, uh, you know, the job 
sort of requires a degree of general assignment work, just getting out, getting to know people, you know, turning out a, a story sure. in like a day or two. Um, but that was the first one real in-depth story that I got to write. It was great. really sort of like what I'm here for. It was great, at man. Least in my mind. I appreciate great. that. It was like one of those, you know, I'm Jason Wolf and I'm on the scene now type of stories. It was really good. And I mean that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I, I don't know. I'd say it was great to write, but um, yeah, I would rather spend my time uh, talking to those people, getting to know them, and, and doing my best to do justice to their story than cranking out three or four daily pieces. You know what I mean? Sure. For the sake of web traffic. Sure. Eric Wood was a recent guest on this show and one of the coolest guys I've ever talked to. I also think he's going to become a big media star someday soon. I've been saying that and I'll continue to say that. Anyway, you did a story on him and how he spent his first game as an ex-Buffalo Bill. What was that like for him? Take us inside that story a little bit. Yeah, Eric was, um, I I agree with you. Eric is awesome. I got to know him a little bit uh, the other day before the game in Baltimore. They're hanging out in a bar. He was originally planning to tailgate, but then since it was raining sideways, he and his a couple of his buddies ended up at a bar downtown. Not surprising. um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. So like, you know, I had, I had reached out to him a couple of weeks ago to comment on one of those quote unquote daily stories that I was writing about the offensive line. And we got to talking and he told me he was going to go down uh, to the game. And I was like, Hey, well, like, do you mind if I stay in touch? Maybe, you know, I can come tailgate with you. We can hang out, which is something that, I get to do now that there are three full-time Bills beat writers. I don't have to be at the stadium. I can right. be tailgating with Eric Wood. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, that's cool too. Man. So I, I went and met with him at the bar. He was having a good time. Um, uh, you know, we, I, I stayed away from getting like super deep with him, I guess. I mean, it was all pretty fun, but he told me about how like, you know, whole needs surgery one day and how surprising, um, you know, the news was because he was the only guy to have played a hundred percent of the snaps last season. Last year, yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to like, you know, a, a couple of his buddies, uh, some random fans. Some guy came in like wearing a wood Jersey uh, and, and got his autograph. Um, it was cool. And then we walked together through the rain to the stadium and he went in one gate and I walked around the stadium and went in the media gate and joined, you know, my colleagues up in the press box. I, it was, it was a really cool, afternoon i thought it was neat to see a guy who you know he's been a player for a decade and this is his first real regular season game where our spirits uh, he was good he 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 was pretty good man um i think he's had some time to sort of come to terms with the fact that he's not playing anymore i mean he told me that he always thought that you know when he wasn't playing he'd be this broken down old man that just couldn't do it anymore and he was telling me he feels good. You know, he feels like he could right. put on a uniform and be out there. And to be honest with you, if he did, he'd probably be one of the best players on this <laughs> roster. I right don't now. think there's any debate about that. There's, you know, um, <laughs> right. so I, I mean, it, it's kind of cool to, to get to retire and not be that broken down old man in, in one sense. Um, you no, know, he's doing well. He, he was hanging out, just having fun. It, it was a really cool afternoon. It was a cool opportunity to get to know him a little bit. Yeah, that's really good stuff. All right, so listen, with every guest, it's the same deal here. I'm going to end this with the mini lightning round. All I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions, not any real deep thought required, 
Just whatever your answer is, pop it out, whatever comes in your mind, and we'll just leave it at that. All right? You good yes, with that? This might get, yeah, it might get me in trouble, but all right. Yeah, let's go. All right. Favorite athlete that you've ever covered? Favorite athlete that I've ever covered? Um, let's say Michael Vick. Okay. Favorite activity to do? Sit on the couch. I like that one. That's a good anyway, one. Anyway, watching some TV, right? Right. All right. Look, TV. Do you have a favorite TV show? Not really. No. I, I mean, I'm either, I'm either watching live sporting events or cartoons. Okay. Favorite city to visit? Favorite city to visit? Wow, that's tough. Um, Philadelphia is home, but I, that, that's kind of lame. That, that, that's not cool. I, let's say uh, I, I just went to Toronto recently. It was my first time there. It's not far from here. It's huge. Man, I was really blown away by how big it is and how like like clean it is. I mean, it was really like surprisingly clean. It's a smaller, a cleaner New York City. That's what Toronto is, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, so, so that was kind of neat. What's your favorite sports movie ever? Favorite sports movie ever. Oh, man. Um, let's see, Bull Durham. If you've never gotten involved in sports writing in any and, capacity. And, and, go and, and I'm going to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I got it for the, just the, the sake of it for, for my own credibility. I've got to put Rocky in there. Which one? The first one? Second one? Yeah. You know, one through three are are decent. Four is so-so. Five was an abomination. It was. Uh, Balboa was kind of okay. I really liked Creed. Creed was really cool. It was. I don't know why I like Rocky Three. That was my favorite. Yeah, everything in there. The first three are good. Yeah, yeah, dude, you have everything in there. The champ has it all. Then he loses everything. His manager dies, gets his ass whooped. His former rival becomes, you know, his mentor and trains him. And then he comes back and he gets everything back. That's a great story, man. Yeah. All right. Enough about me. (laughs) If you had never got, (laughs) if you had never gotten involved in sports writing in any capacity at all when you were younger, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Um, when I was a real little kid, I wanted to be like an FBI agent. Hmm. I thought that would have been cool. Sure. Second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, Hey, Jason, we have a new policy. Now you're only going to be allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only that's it. Who would be that person you'd follow or organization one Twitter follow. And that's it. Do I have to follow any of them? I was going to ask you that. You don't tweet too much, do you? You know, I used to tweet around the clock as sort of like a requirement of a beat writer. And so I, I've sort of tapped the brakes on that a yeah. little bit as I sort of find, I guess, my place at the paper and in the market and get to know the, the teams somewhat mm-hmm. and the personalities. Um, I don't know. I, I go in streaks. Well, who you got? You got one person, I, I, and, you, I, and I'm going to make you follow one. So the answer is yes. You got to follow someone, or you lose your job. Dalai Lama. Okay, fair enough. Let's say the Dalai Lama. <laughs> All right. Three dinner guests. This is the last question. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, who you got? I should probably include my wife in those three, right, just to stay out of trouble. Probably. Um, <laughs> she's in the next room. She said, I heard that. 
<laughs> she doesn't read my stuff anymore, so I don't think she has been listening to this podcast. She heard it live. Oh, all, right, well, she, we'll, all right, so you're saying her because she's there then, because you wouldn't have had to yeah, say her yeah. otherwise. Because so, so you would have known you didn't say number her. one. Um, then let's say uh, Kurt Cobain and Dr. Seuss. Nice. All right, man. Extremely well done. Well done. That would be a good dinner, actually. That, that would be cool. That would be a really good, be a really different dinner. That's for sure. Huh. <laughs> all right. That's well done, man. Jason Wolf of the Buffalo News, everyone. Follow him on Twitter because he does tweet in streaks. Follow him at Jason Wolf. This was good stuff, man. I had fun. It's nice getting to know you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants. Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, man. You saw the Elton John concert Saturday night in downtown Buffalo. I know you're a huge Elton John guy. I'm not, but I got to ask you, how was it? Did you enjoy it? I did, man, and thank God for it because it it really saved the weekend with what we're about to soon get into. But I, I don't know if I can go as far as to say that I'm a huge Elton John fan. I, I am definitely a fan. Um, oh, Sherry is is the huge Elton fan. Like I'm a I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, and you know, just and and a fan of Elton. You know, kind of just a notch below. Does he sell good live still? Dude, it was fabulous. And and that's why I kind of preface it by saying that I'm I'm only really a fan and not a super fan. He brought me to to, you know, into the super fan, you know, uh level Saturday night. He killed it. Yeah, I mean, he just he killed it. Uh the performance was great. The uh the, the setting was great. The stage was was terrific. Not an empty seat in the house, and that is not always the case even with the big names, man, you can look up there. You can look up to the, uh, you know, the three hundreds as they, as they are here locally in Buffalo and you can see empty seats, if not sections, this place was to the rafters Thursday night or Saturday night, excuse me. And he did not disappoint. He sounded good. You know, he had good energy, a few wardrobe uh, changes that were, you know, that were fun and obviously classic Elton and uh, his video screen, he ran some really good, poignant uh, videos behind some of the songs. He was fabulous, man. He was fabulous. And he needed to be because those fucking tickets were like $500, uh, you know, two, <laughs> two, on, two on the floor. They're about two and a half a piece, man. But uh, uh, And I did not think they could live up to it, but it, it did. <laughs> All right. I guess Elton John is the unofficial fun part of this segment. Let's get to Orchard Park. It's Sunday afternoon. The Buffalo Bills looked every bit as pathetic in their home opener against the Chargers as they did last week in Baltimore, at least for the first half anyway. They did show some life in the second half, but it wasn't nearly enough. The Bills lose their home opener in Josh Allen's first career start, 31-20. I'd like to start on the other side of the ball today because this defense looked severely overrated and overmatched. Before I get your take on things, I just want to throw out a couple numbers here, all right? 
With 28 points allowed in the first half, the Bills had allowed 75 points through the first six quarters. They allowed nine straight red zone TDs before finally holding the Chargers to a field goal in the fourth quarter. The Chargers had TD drives of 61 yards over six plays and 75 yards over five plays in the first half. And it looked like they barely even broke a sweat doing it. It was just way too easy. So that's just not the way a good or an even decent defense plays, regardless of how bad the offense is. What the hell do you think is going on with this defense right now? Well, I'll tell you this, and I hate the fact that, you know, I always make a reference to, uh, you know, someone else's opinion to to piggyback from. But at least in this case, it's it's not going to be Joe B. You, you know how fond I am of Mike Shope. Uh, you know, I, I listen to him every day. He's, I've been, you know, my go-to radio guy for, you know, for 20-plus years. But I don't always agree with his takes on football. And one of the things that he says a lot that, that bugs me because I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe in luck or randomness uh, is that it is very difficult to predict a team's defensive performance from year to year. You know, a, a team can be excellent on defense one year and then have a lot of the same parts back the following year, but simply because of, you know, other factors, be it the schedule or just the execution of, uh, of the opponent and stuff like that, you know, you, you end up not seeing the same, Uh, the same type of D as you did the year before, either good or bad. And I think we could be seeing a little bit of that. I think we could be seeing a defense that, you know, overachieved and and were certainly helped out by takeaways last year. You know, other than those takeaways, you know, the stats weren't really that good anyways. And uh, and now they've gone against a couple offenses that have clearly executed well uh, in weeks one and two. Veteran quarterbacks, uh, say what you want about uh, about Flacco, but certainly, you know, a veteran guy uh, and, and a Hall of Famer in Rivers. And they got whooped, man. You know, they flat out got whooped for two weeks. Is it two weeks in a row? And is it personnel or is it, uh, you know, Frazier, as I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, I look at one play in particular, I think on the first drive, where uh, he completed it to his uh, tight end in space uh, and in the middle of the field. And he just stiff-armed Jordan Poyer's face in the dirt and, you know, got down around the 10-yard line. It was like a 20-yard gain from like the 30 to the 10. And who do you want to put that on? You know, do you do you, do you put it on Frazier for putting Poyer in, in, in one-on-one with a big tight end? Um, or do you put it on Toyer, Poyer for not being able – you know, to knock it down, to not put himself in the spot to, you know, to get overmatched physically. There's a lot of things that went right last year, and we've seen the exact opposite uh, for the first two weeks this year. Tremaine Edmonds in particular had a really tough day. Phillip Rivers was just carving him up in the passing game, and it was really obvious to anyone watching that game that Phillip Rivers consistently in the passing game was identifying Tremaine Edmonds and coming up with plays to expose him. I mean, is, is there nothing here to see but, you know, just a, a rookie having a bad day at the office? I, it shouldn't be any more than that. Like, there's no reason to worry about Tremaine Edmonds not becoming a good linebacker based on this. Although, I mean, it was a really, really bad game for him. Am I right? Yeah, you certainly are. And, you know, what's what's funny, a lot of times when you're analyzing a young linebacker's play, uh, and especially through the preseason, 
you know, you think about how he can bite on misdirection, how certain flows, you know, get him going one way and then it opens up the other way. And, you know, that's usually in reference to uh, to a team's running attack. And, you know, what you saw was uh, a young uh, linebacker get completely abused in the passing game. And um, I don't know what the answer is for that. I, 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 I have to imagine it would be getting some other bodies into the middle of that field, whether it be a low safety or, you know, keeping Milano more in the middle or whoever the, you know, the second uh, backer might be in, in nickel and not making him cover that much space because he's just, he's not there yet, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, it was, it was evident, but you're also talking about a quarterback that can just kill you in that area of the field and receivers um, like in Keenan Allen and the tight ends that can run good, good routes in that seven yard middle range, because, you know, he wasn't getting beat on straight routes or, or crosses or anything like that. You know, they were, they were doing a little Stevie on him. You know what I mean? Like they were juking him, you know, into, into the route. And, and um, you know, it wasn't like they just, they just ran basic routes into open areas. They, they got him, you know, they, they got his body shifting, moving one way, went the other and, you know, they, they did some basketball moves on him. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's how they got, the, that's how they created the space. You know, one week ago in a, in a blowout loss, you named Matt Milano, your Bills MVP for the week. Sunday, he spent parts of this game benched for Ramon Humber. Doesn't it seem like McDermott isn't as high on Matt Milano as a lot of other people are? I mean, this guy seems to get benched a lot. I don't know. I don't want to say if bench maybe is not the right word, but. He does get replaced for at least a couple series a game by Ramon Humber, and I personally don't understand it. Do you make any sense of this? Do you think that maybe McDermott's not quite as high on this kid as others are? Not yet. Like I can't. I don't. I don't have a take on this yet. I don't think he was asked about it yesterday because there was so much other shit going on. Um, I I imagine he'll be asked about it at some point during the course of this week. And I, you know, the first thing I want to know is, was it performance related? Now, we know it probably wasn't injury related, but, you know, Mamelano's an undersized linebacker, man. And I think part of last year's, you know, substitution process was not necessarily a pitch count per se, but I don't think they want him out there for, for 70 plays. So I do think they trust Humber to give him a, a couple series along the way. And I'm not a hundred percent there that it's uh, always been uh, a reaction to discipline or, or performance. But if it is, well, then it's something that the tape showing or something that McDermott's noticing that, um, that nobody else is, is really picking up on at least from a fans and television perspective. You mentioned as well Jordan Poyer. Now it's Virgil Green, by the way, who kind of just stuck his helmet down or his hand out and uh, ran Poyer over. Him and Micah Hyde, let's talk about both of them briefly here. This is two games in a row now where neither of them have made an impact play. Last year, they were arguably two of the best, if not the best players on the defense. This year, they just seem like two guys that are out there right now. You concerned about them? Sure. Yeah, I mean... 
Uh, going back to last year, though, and what, one of my opening points, you know, a lot of those impact plays came on deflected balls, and those those balls aren't getting deflected yeah, they this did, year. But they were much better in coverage. It just felt like they were making key tackles and doing things last year. Whereas this year, they're just, I don't know, they're making tackles 15, 18 yards down the field. They're not that close. They're not breaking up passes. You know what well, I mean? Shit, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll stay right on that first drive as as um, uh, as much love as, as Rivers got for that uh, touchdown throw to cap the first drive. I felt like Poyer should have made a play on the ball. Poyer was coming from, from the inside. I don't know who had coverage on the outside. It but was Davis who will be, we'll yeah. be talking about him, obviously. Yeah. But I, I felt like, you know, Poyer went, played the body and I felt like one more stride and, and Poyer's, um, you know, playing the ball there. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I, look, I'm not going frame by frame. I've seen to play, you know, strictly on, on uh recap show highlights. Okay. So I, I don't know, but it, it seemed like the ball was there to, you know, to make, to make a play on, you know, it's, it's a split second decision. His decision was to, you know, go for the contact and, and the big bodied receiver held on quite easily. Monte Davis, as we all know now, he literally quit at halftime, retired, whatever the hell you want to call it. Made national news as a big embarrassment to the organization. In fact, you know what? I woke up here Monday morning in Florida to the local news in Sarasota, getting ready to take my kid to school and stuff like that. And they're sitting there talking about Monte Davis quitting. Guys from Florida, you know, those non-sports people who don't even really know what they're talking about. But that was a topic of conversation. Local news 1,400 miles away the next day. What do you what do you even say about something like that when a guy just quits at halftime of of the second game? I mean, he did, you know, no one's talking about this. His statement, he talks about injuries and blah, blah, blah. He also got benched before that. And I'm pretty sure it might have something to do with why he left that stadium. I would probably have more to say about it if I were outside of the Buffalo market than being in it. I mean, I am not trying to marginalize the story. It's it's super, you know, rare and because of because it is, it's worth being talked about. But the from the minute it happened and it was evident that he, you know, was never going to be part of my football team again, I stopped giving a shit about what this says about Vontae Davis right then and there and started wondering what's this say about the Buffalo Bills? Okay. What's this say about, you know, uh, uh, about how we may be handling, all right, some of our veterans because that curly stuff, whatever McDermott uh, is going with in terms of the reason, reason behind releasing curly is some bold faced lion bullshit. Yeah. Okay? Numbers game. None of that, that is just, that is just not. I true. agree. Okay, Curly rocked the boat in some way that got him cut. Okay, and then three days later, another guy quit at halftime. What's going on that's making veterans do that? All right, because I don't give a shit how much cap money you've got going into next year. If you can't get people to to come here because you're developing a reputation for that, uh, you know, with guys that don't want to come here, well, then that's going to be a problem. But, you know, the Vontae Davis thing, Whatever, yeah, it's, it's it's lame. It's it's all the things that people want to say. If the team itself, if guys like Kyle or Zoe, guys that have really given their life to the game, want to talk about how they feel disrespected, that's fine. 
But, you know, that's a, where I draw the line, you know, when media guys and stuff like that, you know, try to throw in their two cents on, you know, he quit on his brothers. Those are his brothers. Da, 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 da. Look, this isn't fucking, you know, the shields in the movie 300 here. OK, he's about as, as I'm about as into Vontae Davis's brotherhood or whatever with the Buffalo Bills as I was when Spinach Scully quit on the first day of Burger King orientation. All right. <laughs> Motherfuckers quit. That just happens, all right? So if Kyle or Zoe want to feel slighted, that's fine. But I draw the line there when media try to relate because they coach high school football or some shit. No thanks, all right? Leave it to the players. Well, I will say this much about the Bills' defense. At least they did play respectable in the second half. I mean, yes, the Chargers, they did build up, what was it, 28-3 to lead. So it's not like they were... You know, it wasn't like the offense was in desperation mode or anything like that. But the Bills defense did play much better in the second half. And Sean McDermott took over play calling for that second half over Leslie Frazier. Do you think that might be a sign of things to come? Do you see McDermott calling plays going forward? And if so, I mean, where does that leave Frazier? I want to say I hope it's a sign of things to come because they look like a totally different defense. Now, some are arguing that, you know, it was more of a, a, a case of you know where where things were in the game just and, and it and, just looked like they were playing harder that's what it came down to me it wasn't any fancy schemes all of a sudden guys like Hughes and Murphy started beating their guys a little bit on the pass rush you know just things like that it just felt like they were playing harder at least in my opinion anyway no nah, yours and, and other people I don't understand that part of it I mean oh all right you know McDermott took over play calls so now we're pumped I, well, I that I just don't get at all I think, you know, he did some things that freed guys up. Look, Jerry Hughes was dropping into coverage more than I had ever seen before. If if Jerry if Jerry Hughes was Mario Williams, Mario Williams would have fucking gone ape shit over the number of times that he dropped in the coverage. Cause it happened several times with Jerry Hughes yesterday. Now I can't remember if it was the first half or second half, you know, meaning was it Frazier who called him or or uh or was it McDermott? But no, I, I think the X's and O's part of it played a big role in in how they played in the second half. And I mean, look at the look at the touchdown, the rushing touchdown in the first half. I mean, holy cow, man! Uh, I have never seen that easy of a touchdown run in my life yeah. from that far out. That is some. That is that's a serious beat on the uh, on the X's and O's, man. So uh, I like Leslie Frazier. I enjoyed the idea of having a one-time head coach, you know, in charge of the defense. But uh, through two games, man, you know, he's getting beat, beaten badly. And if the head coach, who ultimately is accountable for all this stuff, has to take it over, then um, then that's the way it is. I want to talk at least briefly about the offensive side of the ball. Everyone in the world's talking about Josh Allen, but we can't ignore him either. So we got at least you know, talk about him for a minute or two here. He goes 18 of 33 for 245, touchdown, two picks, sacks six times in his first career start. He did do some good things, and obviously he did some bad things. What did you think of him Sunday? Did Sunday move the needle for him when it comes to you a little bit one way or the other, whether it went up or down? How do you feel about him today as opposed to maybe you did Saturday? Or do you feel exactly the same and he gave you everything you expected to? Close to the same, but still enough for me to say needle up uh, a little bit. I felt like the Cincinnati game almost seemed too big for him. Looked, it had a bit of a deer in headlights 
uh, look against Cincinnati. Um, and shit, you know, I mean, there may have been more pressure on him against Cincinnati than he even felt yesterday because that was uh, an audition to, to start and, you know, who knows. But he, d- he didn't seem really shook. He, you know, no happy feet. Um, you know, although there were pocket issues, they, they weren't happy feet uh, issues. So that was good. I, you know, he, he, sh- he showed flashes without looking absolutely atrocious. The, the interceptions, you know, he, a little underthrown. The second one bothered me um, more than the first. The first, he's just trying anything right there. You could tell he locked in on on Murphy uh, in, in the flat, and he just, it was between, do I get pulled down or do I try to make a play? And, man, the way he, he stayed up for as long as he did, you can at least glean some some good out of that play by how much of a of a horse he is to get down the second pick though you know you're not even you're not even giving Kroom a a shot at that ball that ball's got to have some more air under it that ball needs to be underthrown versus overthrown and that is something that I want to see change almost immediately you can't underthrow in in this league you know You, you got a much better shot at overthrowing because you're not staring down the barrel of a pick with an overthrow. Usually um, you can't underthrow in this league. So that, that ball's got to be better, but uh, you know, uh, lots of what you, lots of what you would expect. And um, the fact that he didn't fall flat on his face is, is good enough for me in game one. Yeah. He, you know, and he also threw a couple really poor intermediate balls that were way behind receivers and as much as you, nobody dislikes this offensive line more than me. But when you hear six sacks, I can't put that all on the line. I feel there was at least a couple times where he didn't see the blitz coming. He just, and that's not his fault. He's just not experienced enough yet. He didn't know where the blitz was coming from or he held on to the ball too long. So at least some of that is actually for once is not on the line. But I agree with you. I think he moved the needle up a little bit for me. Now, Shady... Was held at 39 yards. What do you have? Nine carries. God, it's all he had was nine carries. And then he left the game with sore ribs. We did find out Monday that his ribs were not broken or fractured like it was initially feared. But anyway, he only had 22 yards on seven carries in the first game. So as talented as Shady is, and considering where this team is headed, which is nowhere, especially, I mean, for this season at least, and that the guy's probably not in the long-term plan since he's already 30 years old, do you think it's time to start trying to move guys like him? Do you see an opportunity where LaShawn McCoy could get traded this year before the deadline? Or do you say, you know what? I've already have a bad enough offense. I got a rookie quarterback in here. He's probably the one legitimate threat. So just for that reason alone, for Allen's development, do you make sure that he stays here? What would you do? I would deal him. That's not my prediction though uh i i wouldn't predict that one one way or another i i'm split right down the middle as far as what i think the bills um will do i i think that marcus murphy can you know can be a starting caliber back in this league now you know take that with a grain of salt because i thought nathan peterman could be a starting caliber quarterback in this league so i don't know what i'm looking at all right when i look at these backups and how it's going to translate to uh, you know, from sporadic touches to being the man. But I, I I like Murphy enough to see if he can be the man. Let me let me at least put it like that. Yeah, that's um, fair. And if I can uh 
if I can do a four or better with uh, with Shady, then why not? Because I don't see him back next year. No, and no, no. if 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 that's the case, uh, and I'm sitting there one and five or whatever it may be at the deadline, you know, and he's healthy and, and I can get something, then I, I just got to do it. I have to do it. With, yeah, with plus and, and plus they do have Ivory too. You know, he can run the ball. He's a good second back. He could. You know, if you got to give him 15 carries, he'll be, he'll be okay. He'll be pedestrian, you know, if nothing else. I think it comes down to around the league as if a contending team has a running back who goes down. Then I think there'll be a market for Shady. Otherwise, I don't think there'll be. What about Kevin Benjamin? I, I was ready to bury the guy, but he did score late in the game. It was a meaningless touchdown, but whatever. You know, I, I pose the same question to you. Do you think the Bills might try to move him over the next few weeks or before the deadline, I should say? Or do you think that they just say, keep you and play the season out because based on what we've seen in the first two weeks, there's no freaking way this guy's getting paid by the bills this off season. No way. No. And you know, I think it comes down to can our young quarterback, you know, continue to progress with a receiving group minus Calvin Benjamin. I mean, it's bad enough as it is. And I don't think Benjamin's, you know, really adds that much to it, but if you just end up with a bunch of guys that can't catch a pass or can't do anything, all right, to to boost it, to to make plays, the occasional play for their quarterback, who is obviously going to go through some crisis of confidence, you know, uh, along the way this year. If I've got to keep a guy, especially if my return's going to suck, if I've got to keep a guy that can make an occasional play to lift my my quarterback spirits and and just keep him you know on an even keel then I'm going to keep that guy. What I'd like to see the Bills do though, I I I'd like to move on from Benjamin uh before this year's deadline and, and I'd like to see them bring back a guy like Rod Streeter. Streeter is a guy that I think they like um you know cuz they brought him back. Shit, they brought him back last year. All right, even after they gave him, uh, you know, injured release in the uh, in the preseason. So they bought him, ba- brought him back last year for the hopes of making the team this year. Things got a little screwy on the numbers on the guy, but you know he's got some speed. He's got some veteran. Uh, he's got some years under his belt, and he has played some with Allen in the preseason. And quite frankly. How much better is Calvin Benjamin than Rod Streeter? I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. Road games coming up at Minnesota, at Green Bay. Pretty much a lock to be staring 0-4 right in the face. Process thing, not a process thing. I'm going to bring that up in a little while, too. Even by these standards, the season's just quickly becoming downright depressing. I mean, we've only been through two weeks, and it's like, ugh, we got to talk about this game. You know what I mean? I can't imagine what it was going to probably be like over the next 14 weeks. It's just getting embarrassing. At least that's how I feel about it anyway. I mean, it's not like I expected this team to be a contender. I didn't expect him to. I don't know that I would. I thought they would lose both these first two games, though. Or if they were going to lose him, I thought they would at least be close games. Because Baltimore did not blow me away from what I knew about that team and seeing them on paper and shit. And yeah, the Chargers are good, but they're notorious slow starters. They didn't have Bosa. And we're playing them in our home opener with our rookie quarterback getting his first start. You know what I mean? I don't know that I necessarily expect it to be 1-1 one one or 2-0, and oh, but I didn't expect to be 2-0 and oh, getting our asses whooped two straight weeks. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to suck until 
the sting of how terrible they are um, or how terrible it all began, it's, it's going to suck until that sting wears off a little bit. But I, I suspect that somewhere along the, uh, along the way, we will reconcile with, with who we are as, as a football team this year. And we will find things to, you know, to get up for, to look forward to. But it's probably it's probably not going to come in the uh, in the month of September <laughs> because these next two look real ugly. And uh, I don't know that we'll necessarily be any lower than we are right now because, you know, Baltimore was as low as you can get. And, and we certainly we know who we are right now. It's just going to it's going to sting a little bit more for the next couple weeks as that's reaffirmed. And then, um, and then hopefully we, we start playing some, some competitive football games because I am not going to be someone who needs to root for the tank. Okay. I'm going to try to win some games, maybe, uh, you know, ruin a couple teams, uh, playoff chances, uh, during the second half of the season, that sort of thing. And if it ends up that I draft, you know, eighth instead of second or something, then so be it. I, I I do think these guys, as young as they are, need to get some need to get some wins, and that you know it, it will give us. If you can look at it that way, maybe not everybody can, but if you can look at it that way, you can still draw some level of entertainment from from this football season. I couldn't agree with you more. At least that's my mindset as of right now, anyway. I'm not rooting for no take either. I want to see some wins in the second half of the season, even if it hurts their draft position, because I think it's more important for Josh Allen to learn what it feels like maybe to have one or two game-winning fourth-quarter drives. I think that helps them become a better quarterback down the line far more than having a pick that's three or four picks earlier because you lost those games. Or Tremaine Edmonds having a big interception in the fourth quarter to seal the victory. You know, stuff like that with these young kids. So I could agree with you more. Fuck the tank. I'm not rooting for a tank. I don't care if it costs him the first pick of the draft. I'd rather find a way to claw and scratch and get to four or five wins at the end of the season, you know, because that's pretty much going to be the second half of the schedule because they ain't winning shit. They might win one game then at first half of the season, but I'd rather see them claw their way to four or five wins as opposed to going one and 15 or two and 14 if it's going to assure them the first round pick or the first overall pick, I should say. All right, I do want to talk about the UB Bulls real quick, okay, because we don't talk about them on this podcast. I don't think people talk about them enough. But they do, you know, they are starting to get some hype because it's deserved. They beat Eastern Michigan this weekend, 35-28. They go 3-0 for the first time since 1983. Now, you live in Buffalo. I don't live in Buffalo anymore. So let me ask you this. Do you think that Western New York is showing UB football the love that they deserve right now? Not the love that they deserve, but more love than they have in the past. All right, I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, I have started to follow more of the, you know, uh, fan handles and and group handles on 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 Twitter related to uh, to UB. You know, people are having a lot of fun with it, man. And there's some good guys in the. Uh, they've got some good coverage from you know some veteran guys uh, in the media, so that's nice to see. I, I think it it goes back to when Harrington was talking about this, um, or at least tweeting about it at their home opener uh, a couple weeks ago, 30 bucks is, is, is a lot for, you know, for that stadium, for, for that ticket, you know, when 
you know, you can get the Sabres games for like 10 bucks, you know, I mean, obviously because they suck, but um, 30, 30 bucks is a big ticket, man, especially if, you know, you want to bring one of the, you know, one of the kids or something like that. You want to grab some refreshments. Now, all of a sudden, you know, parking now, all of a sudden it's your, it's your typical hundred dollar day and no one's really used to that. And they're not, you know, big time enough, you know, for people to, you know, to break that off, uh, you know, that easily. So that's, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, I, I think their price point isn't where it needs to be, but you know, the team itself, deserves what they're getting and hopefully we'll get a little bit more and continue, you know, their good start to the season. I got busted a couple times, uh, checking the score during Elton songs that, uh, that I had never heard of. So, um, you know, that's the extent of my dialed in cause it was a great concert, but I still was, uh, was keeping an eye on, um, on the score, uh, you know, during the show. So I, I think that says at least a little something to my interest. Sure. I think so too. All right. We're going to end with a few regular segments and instead of calling them last takes, like we have been doing, I like using the term puck drop for you. Well, I'm going to start running with my pet peeve of the week. Can my puck drop just be how much I like your, uh, your your little play on words there with your pat peeve of the week. Nah, I'm not gonna let you have that. That is pretty good, and I did come up with it myself, which is very rare. It is it is impressive. Don't you worry though. All right, the the puck is gonna drop on something. I wasn't gonna gonna accept that as uh for for this segment, if you will. Um, it's my opinion that for the first time uh, since they've been together, there is probably uh, a little bit of tension in the uh in the Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott pairing. We talked about obviously Vontae Davis. We talked about Jeremy Curley. We saw the Bolden move last year. There have been some personnel moves that have gone very, very badly for this team. And we don't really know, okay, who's putting the final uh, stamp of approval on these personnel moves. Now we all felt when he came in because he came in first and, you know, and continues to be, you know, the, the preeminent voice of the team that, you know, McDermott was the guy in charge, but that doesn't mean that Bean has, you know, nothing to do with these, with these decisions. Some of these decisions might be all Brandon Bean for, you know, for all we know, and let's just say, you know, Brandon Bean is the one making these decisions. And this offseason, you know, he brought him two malcontents and a quarterback that couldn't even, you know, crack the roster. And Sean McDermott's, you know, he's taking the bullets for it uh, uh, every week. You know, they do a very good job of not pointing fingers and talking about these decisions being made in unison. I don't know how much longer they can keep that up because somewhere along the line, okay, somebody talks somebody else into something and whoever talked, whoever in Devontae Davis, Jeremy Curley, Anquan Bolden, trading McCarron, bringing in McCarron and then trading him and leaving your cupboards totally bare. Okay. Somebody's pissed off about somebody else's decisions to bring those guys in. And I think it's going to uh, be interesting to watch as these two continue to work together under what is likely to be very stressful uh, circumstances this season. 
I'm kind of, I'm not so much piggybacking off what you're saying, but I my pet peeve of the week is about roster management. And I'm going to say this. The term trust the process is already getting on my final nerve because I'll tell you what, seeing Josh Allen struggle, seeing Tremaine Edmonds struggle, watching kids like Marcus Murphy muff punts that get Tywan Jones almost killed or Deion Dawkins whiffing on blocks, that is part of trusting the process. Good, young, talented players that are still finding their way. But when you are evaluating a 9-7 roster and you're going out in the offseason and you're citing scrubs like Newhouse and Bodine, you're paying big money to star Lodelay, who has as many tackles so far this season as you or I do. He literally doesn't have a tackle through two games. And you're giving money to guys like Curley and Davis, guys who couldn't even last on this roster for two full games. That's not trusting any process, man. To me, that's just straight up shitty ass roster management and nothing more. I agree. That's a good Pat peeve for this week. I got to with a shout out like I do every week. This week, my shout out goes to whoever created the Air Fry Oven Plus. Dude, I bought that shit on Friday from Walmart. After I watched that fancy infomercial on TV a couple times, I finally said, man, I got to do this. And I made some chicken wings. Actually, Aaron, let's be real here. Aaron made some chicken wings on it and they were amazing. They were awesome. So much better than most of the wings that I get down here in Florida. I had some chicken breasts on it over the weekend. Those were fine. I love this thing. I'm going to be eating at home much more often, saving myself some money. So yeah, shout out to the Air Fryer Oven Plus. Yo, I got a question on the Air Fryer Oven Plus. You, if I remember correctly, uh, from from Twitter, you made 23 wings. Is that correct? I did make 23 wings. Yes. What and was the what was the breakdown of the 23 wings between you and Aaron? Because I, I I was a little bit taken aback by the number of wings. It didn't seem like nearly enough for for two people. That's enough for two people. I don't. In fact, we didn't even finish them. We actually bought 30 wings. She cooked 23. And here's the only reason why we cooked 23. So I might. Who the fuck doesn't finish 23 wings? Dude, they were big wings. We got them from Detweilers. They were jumbo. You hear the word jumbo wings? Well, these were fucking jumbo wings. They were big. And here's the thing, too. It only came with two trays when it was supposed to come with three. In fact, I called customer service the next morning. They're sending another one. Goes to show you, you could easily, you could easily put 30 wings and this shit, and cook them. And, uh, you know, Shane, our kid, he was at uh, his high school football game, his varsity game, he was there watching the game. He came home, and he ate the rest of the wings to answer your question. But, yeah, 23 wings, dude, two people, that's fucking plenty. That's terrible. You got anyone you want to give a shout-out to? I do, actually. I'm going to give a shout-out to myself. You want to know why? Oh, Jesus. Sure. Well, this is actually pretty good. I knew what the call was on the Marcus Murphy muffed uh, muffed punt. I knew that was a touchback. That's that's pretty good. Nobody knew that was a touchback. People were still arguing about whether or not they even called it right. I knew the rule. Isn't that pretty good? It's, it's my, I'm moderately impressed. Moderately impressed. I think you should be. I think you should be. And I think it's worthy of, of a shout out because, you know, I don't give many. So far, I've given a shout out to you for not for missing the uh, the playoffs and to myself. That boy is good. Mm-hmm.
All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you once again to Jason Wolf of the Buffalo News for doing the podcast. I enjoy talking to him. Good guy. I think he's going to do very well here. It's always good to have somebody from my hometown newspaper on the podcast. Also want to thank Elton John Fanatic. Tone Pucks for coming on and doing our weekly Pat with Puck segment. Good talk about the Bills, Sabres, UB, stuff like that. Always enjoy having them on. That's a lot of fun to do. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. It takes about 15 seconds. You just got to go there, hit that subscribe button, and then bam, all new episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. Play them. Delete them afterwards so it doesn't hog up all the memory on your phone or whatever. And if you don't have iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you can also find us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. We have a Facebook page, so you can like that, Moranalytics Podcast. Have a good rest of the week. Talk to you guys on Friday. That's it.